Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Do the Work by Stephen Pressfield, Overcome Resistance and Get Out of Your Own Way. So this book or this podcast episode is specifically designed to coach you through a project, be that writing a book, creating a ballet, a new business venture, a philanthropic enterprise, uh, a new diet or fitness regime. It's about going from conception through to finished product and all seeing it through the point of view of beating the resistance. Now, the resistance is going to be there along the way. We've done two of Stephen Pressfield's books already, so one of them being War of Art, the other one, um, Turning Pro. And this really outlined the resistance. And I guess this trio kind of caps it all off with uh, actually getting down and doing the work. We're going to hit every predictable resistance point that pops up along your journey, your creativity journey, your writing that book, doing that ballet, doing that fitness or diet. There's going to be junctures where you've got fear, self-sabotage, procrastination, self-doubt, all these demons that we're all so familiar with are going to pop up and try to strike us. So where butts need to be kicked Big old press field, he kicks him. Well, you need a little kinder, gentler sort of kid gloves. He'll just give you a little tap, a little nudge on the backside just to keep you moving in the right direction. Now, this book, uh, a lot of it is specific to writing, whether it be writing a book, a movie, or a play. But these principles can be taken and applied with equal effectiveness to really any form of creative endeavor. You can even apply it to any kind of pursuit, really, like the acquisition of physical fitness, the recovery from a broken heart, or the pursuit of any objective that involves anything to do from a lower, less conscious plane to reaching the higher one where you're reaching and fulfilling your own potential. As we go along this journey, there are going to be enemies and there are going to be allies. There's a whole bunch of enemies that are working against us, forces that are trying to stop us from achieving what we're setting out to achieve. And the first one that's going to come along and the journey and come knocking on your door is rational thought. And bad things happen when we employ rational thought at the very beginning as we're trying to move and begin our project because rational thought, it comes from the ego. Um, we shouldn't be thinking. We should be working off instinct and intuition fueled by the unconscious. And if you ever heard the artist say, say, trust the suit, uh, she's talking about this quantum suit, this metaphysical realm, and it's the letting go of the need for control. The second enemy is family and friends. And the problem with family and friends is that they know us as we are. They're invested in maintaining us as we are. But the last thing that we want to do is remain who we are. If you're reading a book like Pressfields or listening to a podcast like this, it's because you've got a sense inside of you of some second self, some unlived life, a new version of you that you could but haven't yet become. So whilst, of course, there are exceptions, most of your family and friends, are, there's sort of an enemy that are trying to hold you back whilst you're trying to push forward. And thirdly, of course, we've got the resistance and any act that rejects immediate gratification of you trying to do something for the long term, whether it be for your growth, your health, your integrity. Now, resistance is going to pop up and rear its ugly head. There's a few things we can learn about the resistance. Firstly, it's invisible. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't touch it. You can't smell it, but it can be felt. And it's this force that pushes us and it distracts us and prevents us from just getting down and doing the work. Resistance is insidious. It will tell you anything to keep you from doing your work. It will purge, fabricate, falsify, seduce, bully, cajole. Resistance will pledge anything to get a deal and then double-cross you as soon as your back is turned. And it plays for keeps. Its goal isn't to wound you or destable it. It aims to kill you. And its target is the epicenter of your being, your genius, your soul, unique process gift that you were put on the earth to, uh, to put out. So we've all been probably destroyed by the resistance sometime along the way. 
Uh, it's happened to me too many times to put on on one one hand. I remember once buying myself a uh, fitness equipment. It was one of your big ab swing pro sort of things at home, and it cost me about hundred bucks. Um, I was planning to to do your fifty sit ups a day with this thing, and uh, of course I bought it. I used it on day one, and then all of a sudden the resistance it reared its ugly head from there on inwards, and then all of a sudden all these reasons and excuses started popping up. This irrational thought in my head, like I'm wasting my time. Who cares about abs anyway? Um, and of course, resistance killed me in these moments. So, I guess by understanding the enemy and uh, preparing for it, then we can defeat the resistance and finish whatever our projects are and reach our potential. Thankfully, even though there's so many enemies trying to stop us, there are a couple of allies who are on our side. They're champions. They're pushing us forward. And the biggest ally really is stupidity. Pressfield says Zulis dumb people throughout history who've done crazy stuff that don't make any sort of sense and he says they're dumb they're stupid because any quote unquote smart rational person they would have understood how impossibly arduous this task was and they would have said no nah, no point trying it's only mm. the stupid people who are willing to ha- to take a risk and have a crack maybe richard branson recently is pretty stupid taking himself up in a rocket ship into space uh, obviously, people have gone to space before, but not too many just Joe Blows off the mm. street like Richard Branson have, have uh, been able to take themselves up and then offer that opportunity to a whole bunch of other rich billionaires as well. Oh, 100%, man. Well, think about, uh, I know you you've you can wheel out this story much better than I am, but how stupid it was that time when he um, first did his Virgin Airlines where they couldn't get the, uh, the flight to where they wanted to go and he somehow just had this wacky idea to to get a plane, put a sign in the air and saying, um, and just pretty much organize the plane flight himself. It was really the start of Virgin Airlines, but it came from a point of just real stupidity. If you were there and just saw him in that moment, you think this guy's a wacko and not doing anything with his life. So the biggest help we can have on this journey to creating something is to stay stupid. Don't think, just act. Another ally is stubbornness, is that once we commit to an action, the worst thing we can do is stop because if you stop, that's when we let resistance in the door Instead of stopping, we just have a little bit of plain old stubbornness. You know, you just stick to it. You just think, I'm not going to give up and just, uh, yeah, don't take any of the hits. Just keep keep on striding forward. Yeah, you sink your junkyard dog teeth into the resistance's ass, and don't let go, no matter how hard it kicks back at you. And thirdly, we've got another thing that's on our side, and that's assistance. And this is the opposite of resistance because every law of nature, there's an equal and opposite law. Uh, resistance is the shadow and assistance is the sun. A work in progress, when you get started on whatever you're trying to achieve, this work in progress actually creates its own energy field. So whilst resistance, it's it's trying to push us away from the work, this energy, uh, the passion, the love that we're pouring into this project, it's sort of bringing then, it's sort of building upon its own energy. It's almost like building a little gravitational field and sucking things in towards it. And what Pressfield says, it's it's drawing in ideas. Yeah, once you started with a few scraps of a paragraph or a few lines of a song, all of a sudden ideas start just flowing into you and you've, all of a sudden you've got half an album or half a book. But there is this positive force that's like pushing you towards completion um, and this is, yeah, the opposite of the resistance. Another more, you know, not, not a book example, but, you know, you maybe you start with this crazy idea that you want to restore this neglected neighborhood park that's been overrun, you've got people sleeping in there and this, you've got young kids having parties in there and just throwing their trash everywhere. So you might just start off as just that one person who goes uh, every day to, to pick up a bit of rubbish, but all of a sudden, 
this idea that you've started off starts to draw a bit of energy towards it, starts to have a bit of assistance. Soon you've got other neighbors who are just popping their heads over to pick up a little bit of rubbish here or there. Suddenly you've got other neighbors volunteering to plant trees. Um, and it's just like, just because you got started, then you start to attract a bit of energy towards it. And finally, we, we ragged a bit on friends and family. A lot of the time, they're trying to stop you from fulfilling your potential. But at the same time, they do provide assistance. Um, they're not just enemies. They can be allies as well. Like when, even if we kick ass uh, and after the success and the fame and the money and they've all gone, who's still going to love us at the end of the day and whom do we love? So what we do is important, but of course, who we do it for is important also. So when is the best time to start? Pressfield says, start before you're ready. Don't prepare, just begin, just get started anyway. Remember, the enemy is not the lack of preparation and planning. It's not the difficulty of the project or the state of the marketplace or the emptiness of the bank account. The enemy, remember, it's the chattering brain. If we give ourselves as much as a nanosecond, our chattering brain is going to start producing excuses, whipping out alibis, some transparent self-justifications. It's going to come up with a million reasons why we can't or shouldn't or won't do what we need to do. So the only way to stop that chattering brain from chattering away is to start before you're ready. Not to plan, but just to begin. Yeah, just start doing shit. Um, you show... What's that? Huevos. <laughs> Huevos and chutzpah. Okay. I've never heard of these words, Hasho. You must have <laughs> these things, more mate. cultured, mate. <laughs> Potentially. But once you get moving, right, your, your blood's going to heat up and this courage begets more and more courage. Um, the gods who are out there, uh, they're witnessing your boldness and they're just going to be looking on and approve. Like, look at this lady or bloke, they're just getting into it. Um, we're pretty proud of that one. So that's when we need to start. We need to start before we're ready. And then in terms of approaching, like how the strategy or the how we keep ourselves motivated is we've got to stay primitive. The, the creative act is primitive. Its principles are like a birth and genesis. It says that babies are born in blood and chaos, that stars and galaxies come into being amid a uh, release of massive primordial cataclysms he's a very emotive writer isn't he yeah very epic absolutely epic but it's sort of the same sort of analogy that we can use to our work it's going to be bloody it's going to be messy it's going to be chaotic we just need to realize that it's not going to be just come flowing clean and perfect it's going to be an absolute scrap so we've got to just sort of stay in that realm stay primitive not to try to get too highbrow about it yeah it could get highbrow being very sophisticated about what you're doing but you're probably pulling in a bit of the rational thought and the rational thought is a bit of the enemy here you need to be chaotic and primal and just get moving and you're better off being stupid rather than being smart because if you want to do great stuff you're going to be looking to swing for the seats and a lot of the time that's not a rational thing to do yeah we can't let ourselves play small the home run swings they're going to result in strikeouts but it's much better to at least have a crack at the home run rather than just that, that little bunt, that little nudge that dribbles a few a few meters in front of the plate. We want to be going for that big swing, not knowing if it's going to connect or not, but at least giving yourself the chance to hit that home run. Now, now the project's underway. You started swinging. You started getting a bit of momentum. Don't be surprised whatsoever when the thing lurking behind the corner just pops up. Of course, it's going to be the resistance. It's going to be here along the ride and there for the journey. There's a massive difference here between thoughts and chatter. So thoughts come into your head, but chatter you might confuse as thoughts. If you've ever tried to meditate, you know what it feels like. 
you start to try to focus on one little thing and then all of a sudden a little chatter pops in. It starts to think, oh, I wonder if anyone's texted me yet. I better go check that. Or it starts to think, oh, I haven't put my washing on. I better go and put the washing on. Or you, you, Any sort of little chatter pops into your brain to distract you from your thought, to distract you from that one thing. Didn't know you did the laundry in your household, Ash. Are you claiming that? <laughs> Definitely. Okay, there you go. It's what the Buddhists call monkey mind. It's this endless chatter. It's regurgitation, whatever your parents or teachers said when you were growing up. It's what your boss said to you last week or what your partner said to you this morning. This shit's going to be just constant, just popping up in your head. And your challenge at the start, especially, is just to ignore the chatter. Differentiate between thought and chatter. So, thought is what you need to do in order to find creativity. Chatter is the meaningless drivel and crap that is constantly going in your head, which you got to put on the on the back burner. Yeah, pay no attention to those rambling, disjointed images, those things that are drifting across your mind, trying to distract you, trying to give you an excuse to get out of your work because these are not thought, these are chatter and of course, these are the resistance undercover. So you might have got started here, you might have got a bit of a rough idea, you might have got this primitive plan in your mind and you kind of think, oh, awesome, this is what the project's going to be. We're sort of home and hosed except for one thing, that's the actual work. It's time to actually knuckle down and start doing the work. It's time to actually start. Do that first draft and he says, cover the canvas, cover the whole entire thing, like sit down, do the first draft as quickly as possible, go from start to finish, don't worry about the quality, don't think about it too much, don't reflect if it's good or not, just do the work. Momentum is everything. Keep going until you get that first draft home and hosed. Yeah, the whole point here is just to do it as soon as you possibly can. Don't worry about the quality. Don't think about it. Don't reflect upon it. Just just get the bloody thing done. Just work. Momentum is everything here. This probably resonates really well with us because I think for our book, it's probably something we um, couldn't have done if we didn't have this strategy. We hadn't read this book at the time. We just did it uh, naturally. We got lucky that we covered the canvas unintentionally. Well, yeah, we. Uh, I went to Indonesia and you did it from here where we just thought, oh, well, let's just get our top 100 done, cover the whole canvas and all of a sudden we had 100,000 words down, albeit compared to what we got now, it was, a, it was a bunch of crap, but at least we had something on the canvas and with that, you got momentum. Yeah, don't stop, don't look down, don't look up, don't think, just go all the way from start to finish as fast as you possibly can. Even if it's a piece of shit, at least you've got first your first draft done. So your book draft, finish the book, your business plan, go through the whole thing, what's it look like at the end, your new website, just get your WordPress thing up, choose your template and just have something up, write your first song from beginning to end and designing your house, whatever it might be, just get the bloody thing finished. There's really a simple two-step process for anything that we're doing here. Step one is act, step two is reflect. Never act and reflect at the same time. Action is putting those words down on paper. Reflection is then evaluating what you've got there. That first draft is all purely action and zero reflection. If you're doing them both at the same time, reflecting whilst you act, you're probably just going to be second-guessing yourself your whole way and you'll stop acting and nothing, nothing really happens. He says you've got to be like the sailor. The sailor who goes out there, they hoist their, their canvas, they chuck their sail up, they try to catch the wind. Now, the wind is invisible. You can't see it. You can't control it. But that's what's going to power them ahead on their voyage. For us as creatives doing this project, whatever we're trying to do, we're going to throw ourselves into it. We're going to act, act, act. We're throwing up our sails. We're trying to catch something that we also can't see, we can't control. And that's ideas. And our ideas is what's going to power us ahead on our voyage. 
yeah, it's not it's not up to you to just come out with the idea first. You just in this acting, who knows what idea is going to come in and start blowing your sails and take the whole thing to somewhere where you couldn't really preconceive at the very beginning. Your job is to let the idea create you and catch you and take you where it wants to go. And then it's up to you to help bring it into being. The answer is always yes. Whenever an idea pops into your brain, don't think, oh, no, that's way too crazy. You just got to say yes because thinking it's too crazy, judging the idea, that's reflection. It's just better to catch every possible idea that hits you, put it down, you know, capture it somewhere. Wait, we're still in the action phase, so we're not judging these ideas yet. Way later is when we're going to judge it. In fact, the thing that our rational brain thinks is too crazy is probably exactly what you need to power you ahead. Okay, so now you've covered the canvas and you've done your first draft. Until now, our motto has been to act, don't reflect, don't reflect whatsoever. But now we're going to revisit this notion. Now you've got some momentum and you're actually getting your ideas out of your head and onto paper. You can start engaging the other parts of your brain also now. And once a week, in the rush of your work, pause and have a meeting with yourself. Much like if you're having a work in progress team meeting with a whole bunch of other people, you're calling a team meeting just between yourself. The big question that you have to answer in this reflection is what the hell is this damn thing about? You've probably gone off on so many wild tangents in this crazy action phase saying yes to any idea that comes your way. Now is when you stop and think and reflect and say, where the hell is this thing going? What is this damn thing about? We need to keep answering that to keep us on some kind of track. Obviously, it's good to go wild and explore and test out a whole bunch of different things. But every now and then, you've got to sort of rein yourself in and say, where the hell are we actually heading and make sure you're heading somewhere. It's an iterative process. Each week, you're going to reflect and then you're going to act based on what your reflections have been. A week later, you're going to refine it again, go back to it, um, act and reflect again. And over time, you're going to keep narrowing it down, getting it more and more direct and more specific, like what the hell have you been been doing this whole time? One of your favorite playwrights, Paddy Chayefsky. Yes, I he, love Paddy. <laughs> he famously said that as soon as I figure out the theme of the play, I write it down on a thin strip of paper and scotch tape it to the front of my typewriter. After that, nothing goes into the play which isn't on theme. So for Big Paddy, he's, he goes crazy. He goes wild, tries to get a whole bunch of different ideas, tries out a whole bunch of different things, exploring, experimenting, and seeing what's going to stick. And then eventually, once it clicks, once he reflects and says, this is it, then from that point onwards, he's just going to be driving forward on that one single theme, making sure that it sticks nice and tightly to what he wants to do. So like him, hey, Paddy, every week, this is what your meeting is. What is this thing about? And then it's up to you to work out if what you're working on is actually in service of that theme. And we've got to keep working. Momentum is everything. Stephen King, he once confessed that he works every single day. He works on his birthday. He works on the 4th of July. He works on Christmas Day. He keeps the streak going. He keeps momentum alive. He never takes a day off and because of that momentum is what keeps him going. How much time can you spare each day? How many minutes or hours can you set aside and dedicate time for your work and when you're at work, close the bloody door and don't let anyone until you're done. Just keep working, keep working, and keep working. Pressfield, sometimes he says that on a Wednesday, he'll look back at what he wrote on a Tuesday and think, this is crap, I'm crap, this is just so shit, I hate this, I hate myself. But then he'll reread it on a Thursday. And to his astonishment, he says that that thing he wrote on Tuesday that he thought was crap on Wednesday, on Thursday, suddenly it's somehow become brilliant again. So you've got to realize there's a lot of false negatives. There's a lot of false positives. Both reactions are resistance. And instead of both of those, you've just got to keep working. Um, yeah, do we forget to say? Uh, keep working. Just keep working. <laughs> keep working. <laughs> we were doing great. We're in fifth gear, going 85 down the highway. We're almost finished. 
that we thought we we were finished, we got to that point. And then inevitably, it crashes. Something happens. If it's a movie, the leading star checks into rehab. If it's a startup, your key investor pulls out. If it's a rodeo, the star bull runs away with the hottest lifer. <laughs> that's a pretty arbitrary example. But essentially, we've hit a trash. Things are going to shit when you thought you were on fire and getting it done. Nothing can prepare you for this. There are probably no warning signs. It just crashes. That's when your project, you thought you were rolling, you thought you were smashing it. As we said previously, you kept working, kept working, kept working, but now you've hit the wall and there's just big crash. For Pressfield, he had his, his own big crash. He was working on this book. Uh, it was a fiction book, I believe. He was working for two years and he finished. He got to the point where he said, yep, I've done. I've typed the last word, put the last full stop, I'm done. Then he started to show it to people and they said, they kind of hated it. <laughs> and he says, actually, they didn't hate it. They hated it. They really hated it. And he said that the worst part was that he knew that they were right. He said the book wasn't right. It didn't work. Really, even though he'd finished it after two years of working on it and he thought he'd got there, it was actually just a piece of crap. Mm. So, it obviously crashed for him. It happens to everyone. It's inevitable and it's predictable. And uh, ironically, crashes aren't necessarily so bad. They can be a very good thing. They're absolutely hell when you're going through it. But they're also good for us because it means we've failed. We've given it everything we've got and we've come up short. It doesn't mean we're losers at this point. It means we've grown. It means we've hit this threshold which we didn't know we were at and we can learn something from this experience and get better and acquire wisdom that we need to to be doing our craft. Yeah, we had a big crash after we said we did that first draft. We covered the canvas. Jonesy, you famously said we're, we're done or we're nearly done. We're 95% done. That's when we had our big crash. We sent it out. We got some feedback. Feedback is that you look at the order didn't make sense. That doesn't really flow. It's okay, but it's not really that good. And for us, we could have seen that crash as a big setback, as a failure, but instead really just meant it was a challenge to grow. It meant that we had to get better. We had to refine what we were doing. We had to go back to the drawing board. Even though we'd finished that first draft, we had to go for a big full second draft and really start from scratch. But that crash, whilst it could have been a bad thing, really was the best thing possible. Yeah, it can lead to massive growth and and well and truly worth the pain that you have at the time. Only if you go through it and you learn and you do something from it. There's only one solution to this big crash and that's really just to go back to square one. You know, the problem is the problem. It's just that because we our work crashed, it's not a reflection of us as human beings. It was just a mistake and it's a problem that can be solved. We've got to go back to the drawing board, look back at our initial plan, look back and think, where did we go wrong? Where did this train go off the tracks? Because, you know, when the train goes off the tracks, you got to pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Is that a song, Astro? It is a song, yeah. Is it? Yeah, I don't really know that. But uh, at this point, we're, we're just looking at where the hell we went wrong. And this is where we can call upon the three allies that we had at the start. We're back at square one almost at this stage. We're using stupidity. Remember, the dumbest people in the world end up doing some pretty crazy things. So the rational mind right now might be thinking, all right, you suck. Um, stop what you're doing. Just give up. Get back to what your, your day job is and that's it. And if you're going to do another cover to canvas sort of draft, again, don't don't think, just get going and act. Yeah, with the right mix of stupidity, stubbornness, and just pure blind faith, we're too dumb to quit and too pig-headed to back off. Seth Godin, someone who we've spoken about many times on this podcast, he has a big thing about shipping, about shipping your work. And what it really means is that you've got to get to the finish line and ship as in share it, put it out in the world. And that's because that finishing part, 
it's a critical part of any project. It's painful, but if we can't actually finish, if we can't actually say, here we go, this is done, it's time to share with the world, then all that time we've been working is just useless. It's only for ourselves, it's not for anyone else. Yeah, it happens a fair bit, eh? Like the book it might be just stays a draft on your computer or the song stays as a song you're just practicing in the garage and you don't show anyone or the new website just stays in development and never goes live. Um, we're actually never getting to the end of the project and really finishing it. Yeah, we're scared of shipping because shipping means we're announcing that we're done. We're saying to the world, hey, we finished. This is the best possible thing that we could have ever done. And of course, by saying we're done, it opens ourselves up to judgment. So resistance it was a bit of a pain at the ass at the start and it's back at again telling you not to ship. It's really strong at the end, just as it was at the start. You need to do whatever you can to finish it off and have this killer instinct. It takes balls of steel to ship if we never ship we'll never know because if we ship we can fail but if we don't ship we can never be humiliated that's why we're so afraid of it we know that we're opening ourselves up and that's what resistance is going to be saying in the whispering into our ear we're just saying that you know if you put this out there someone might think this is a piece of shit Mm -hmm. and someone's going to think that you're a piece of shit you're never going to get a job again you're never going to work again everybody's going to laugh at you in the street that's what resistance is that's its last ditch attempt to stop you from finishing and stop you from shipping yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of those things might happen. It might actually be a piece of shit. The, your worst fears might actually happen. Um, Stephen Pressfield, he released a piece of shit once. King Kong Lives. Now, it's probably got nothing to do with the original King Kong, which is a mega There's probably hit. a King Kong, surely, in there, yeah? Well, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's ripping it off. King Kong stole like an artist and it just didn't work <laughs> out. But he works with a brilliant partner, Ron Shuset, one of Astro's favorite screen directors. Um, he did Alien and Total Recall. So he was an absolute superstar and it was for a famous production company with an all-star cast with a big production uh, budget. So Pressfield at this point, he's never really made something that's um, killed it. And he thought, all right, this is my time here. Everything's aligned. I'm going to just nail this one and knock it out of the park. Yeah. So Ron and Steve, they were so certain that this thing, this King Kong Lives was going to be massive that they invited everyone they knew to the premiere and they even rented out the bar next door for an after party expecting this <laughs> massive post-triumph blowout. And unfortunately, nobody else showed up. Aside from the family and friends that they'd invited, there was only one person in line for the movie and that person was jingling a little jar saying, Can you, have you got any spare change for me? Oh, <laughs> can you imagine that? <laughs> That'd be quite painful. It was the big premiere. There was no one else there. Their mates, look, they copped the movie, but as soon as it was over, they fled like cockroaches. They didn't yeah. go to the bar for celebratory drinks oh. after. They couldn't see. They couldn't put on a brave face and say that was a great movie because they just yeah. couldn't say it to themselves. <laughs> yeah, and he's not. He's not just making this up, Asher. You said uh, you looked up King Kong Lives on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. Anyone can listen now by a big press man. You got seventeen percent from the audience and zero percent. On the tomato meter. <laughs> Man, I've never seen a zero before. Oof. It was the first zero I've seen. It's pretty horrendous. There was also a review the next day of Variety Magazine. They said, we went and saw this movie, King Kong Lives by Ron Shusett and Stephen Pressfield, but we hope that they're not their real names for their parents' sake. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you can imagine Pressfield here. He's actually 42 years old at this stage and he's been in the arena, taking a whole bunch of swings. Right, he's a bit old and he'd given up his normal life in pursuit of his dreams of becoming a writer and becoming an artist. Finally got his big break as a writer on a big budget Hollywood movie and what happens? He's a loser, he's shunned, he's slammed in the reviews, even slammed by all the no-hopers and all the other losers um, in the concession stands. He was soaking it up to his mate Tony about his failure but his mate Tony, you snapped him out of it because he said, Tony said, look, are you going to quit? And Steve said, hell no. And 
And then Tony said, well, you've got to realize that you're exactly where you want to be. And Stephen realized, look, he'd tried so many projects throughout his life and this was finally the one that stuck. He got paid to write a Hollywood movie. He was cranking out books. He was doing all these other projects in his spare time. And Tony said, look, this is the price that you've got to pay for being in the arena and not on the sidelines. Stop complaining and be grateful because you're exactly where you want to be. And this is what it means when you turn pro. It's not because of all your success. It's because you've had your first real failure. When you ship, you open yourself to judgment in the real world and you might end up failing, but nothing is more empowering and plants you solidly on planet Earth and gets you out of your self-devouring, novel-centered fantasies and self-delusions. So you just got to get out there and ship it. Yeah, there's one thing we can promise you. This is a real turning point for Pressfield, this one big moment where he shipped it. You know, once you slay the dragon once, he's never going to have power over you again. Yes, the dragon, it's always going to still be there. Yes, you're going to have to duel that dragon every single morning. And yes, that dragon is still going to fight you just as hard and use just as many nasty tricks as ever before. But you will have beaten him once, so you know that you can beat him again. And that's an absolute game changer that can transform your life. From the day that you ship something big, you'll never have trouble finishing again. Hey, kudos to you. You've wrapped, you've shipped, you've done the work, you've licked this son of a bitch off. Kudos to you. We, Steve, and I think anyone um, in, in the world who stands in awe of anyone who hatches a dream and shows the guts to hang through it tough all alone and see it through all the way to reality. If you've lost 40 pounds, if you've broken an addiction, if you've self-published a book, if you've written a song and chucked it up on Spotify, if you've made uh, some massive ballet that is now being played, on the big stages all around the world, then that's a massive hat tip to you. You've slogged through something both external and internal and if no one else has congratulated you, then we'll give you a big congrats right now. But be careful from here. Just because you ship doesn't mean the resistance is finished. It's a bit like the Terminator, old Arnie. It's morphing into an even crueler and more diabolic form. It'll be back. Uh, but that's for the future, right? For now, you've shipped, you've finished your creative project and you've shared it to the world. You get to probably have one afternoon off, have a few drinks, say, give yourself a little pat on the back, you've done this next one. Now Pressfield says it's time to start again before you're ready. So we said at the very beginning that the best way to start a project is to start before you're ready. Now it's time to start again before you're ready. Pressfield, during his career journey, he'd been trying to write an old for 17 years and uh, some he tried, he gave up on, some he got right near to the finish line and the resistance pipped him at the 99% mark. And then he threw it in the bin and some he gave up on before he even started. But finally, he finished one and he drove to his best friend's house and said that he'd finished his first novel. And of course, his mates said, congratulations, mate. And straight away, he said, no, now go and start the next one. <laughs> That's it. So once, once we've done one, we've got to get back to work. We've got to start before we're ready. We've got to stay stupid and we've got to do the work. Mm-hmm.